pray we'd cherish it, we'd believe it, we'd allow it to change us, and that through that people would see you, you are the living word. Lord, live through us. Speak and give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we're kind of making a turning point, at least in my understanding of Corinthians. The uh, first four chapters, I believe, regard division. And uh, divisions because of the false teachers. False teachers teach bad doctrine. And as one of my favorite pastors says, the mind will always make a convert of the heart. Doctrine matters. Doctrine affects how we live. And I think we're going to see that in this. You know, just as we're worshiping, I think it's kind of some of the things that can cause confusion or misunderstanding scripture or doctrine. Um, there's a lot of things that can do that. Some of it is we just plain don't like it. So we fix it, whatever that means. <laughs> um, uh, part of it just... And then the confusion sometimes, I think, and just hearing, worshiping, as Rob was saying, faithful God, you stay the same. Faithful God, you stay the same. God hasn't changed. He's immovable, actually. Not just, he just stays the same. He's immovable. You can't change him, nor should we want to. So now the question is, is are we allowing him to change us? And then we get this whole confusion between sometimes we read things and we even, without realizing it, depending upon where I'm reading from, I see a doctrine or a scripture or a portion that I'm reading it and I'll say one thing and I believe one thing. And next thing you know, I'm in a different part and I'm looking at it and I say something different without realizing the difference. So the, the, the New Testament is the interpretation of the Old Testament. So God hasn't changed. He stays the same. What he said in the Old Testament, he meant. Well, then how come when it teaches about adultery, they were told to stone him, and Jesus said he was out sin. He didn't stone her. What, this whole law thing, and that's probably the thing that caused most of the division. As, and we'll get there. I don't know if anybody can quote Acts 2.42. If you can't, you should memorize that. It's important. <laughs> And it's the Apostles' Doctrine. It was their teaching and understanding of the Old Testament. The Old Testament didn't go away. It's not a whole new thing. It's the, it's the correct understanding and teaching of it. And as we get into this, I think we'll find out that, it, that it's important. And the, the not understanding the difference there can cause us to falter. Or even reading through the Old Testament, then all of a sudden I'll come up with, well, he was different then. But we know he stays the same. He's not different. So what changed? And... This is according to Mark. Take this, put your Berean hats on right now. <laughs> the thing that makes sense to me, the way, because if your understanding of something contradicts something else, then one of your two thoughts is wrong. Every, every correct understanding of doctrine will never disagree with anything else in the whole Bible. So that one thing I just brought up, an adulterer, what do you do with them? Well, in the Old Testament, it says you're supposed to stone them. Well, who's supposed to stone them? Well, that was in the Old Testament. So... In God's kingdom, there was a nation. So when you go through, and I'm reading, in my mind, I'm sitting there thinking, he wrote Leviticus. It's, it's, the, it's the law for the Levites. Now, the people were supposed to hear it every seventh year. They were to go and have the whole thing read to them. Kings were supposed to write it down and, and recite it all the time. But it's almost like they were a nation that was a, um, had God 
a theocracy. God, in that nation, it was to represent the will and the heart of God and everything that they did so people could see it. He didn't tell every other nation that didn't believe in him to follow that. That was what they were to do there. Then you get to Deuteronomy, and that actually means a second reading. But that's kind of, that was just before they were going to go in. And it's not, it doesn't contradict Leviticus or any of those other things. The Levites served in the temple, and they were there, and they had a specific purpose. And we know that all of those things point to Christ. So all of them were relevant, but they were fulfilled in Christ. So, well, does that mean that we don't have to do that? There is no temple. How can you even offer a sacrifice anymore? Well, that wasn't just for them in that day, and now they get saved a different way. You stay the same. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. It was always about faith in the one who was going to die, and now faith in the one that has died. Now we look back. The Bible, Paul tells us that we're all priests. In your heart, you offer, we will later, you're offering up the sacrifice that in your heart that Jesus did. So I am applying the blood. I don't need to do that if I've already been, and once you're saved, it's happened. So now we're just remembering. It's, it's a spiritual cleansing. Our flesh never gets better. I've mentioned that before too. So a whole nother note, which will, hasn't changed is people. And we know we're well taught. Satan comes three ways, the lust of the flesh, the yes, the lies, and the pride of life. Those three things work. It doesn't have to change. There's areas in our life we all have desires. We desire to breathe. It's one of the strongest desires that we have. Hold you, I have a couple stories. If I won't share them now. <laughs> if you can't breathe, you freak out. You need air. Why do we need air? Because we have lungs, and that's how, well, God made us that way. It's not a coincidence that we need air. It's, we're supposed to learn something through that. Food. We need food. We have blood. It delivers stuff. The life is in the blood. He made us that way. Every desire that we have is given to us by God for our spiritual truth. Sometimes we want a fulfillment from that other than what God intended for, and that's what's called sin. We miss the mark. So there are desires that we have. Love, probably if you've been through Sunday school, you can list the fruits of the Spirit, right? And as Pastor Jeff used to say, the fruit is singular, so all everything else is the definition of love. But however you look at that, how many of us can name the works of the flesh? We're way better at them. We do them all the time. I kind of like to forget those and not think about them. So now we find out God hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We have this thing in us that we can use. It's neutral. The body is just the body. Paul calls it a tent, something that you dwell in and then you leave. The, the desire, the heart, the innards, the thing that hungers, the thing that desires something, and just thinking about desire, so that now we have love and lust. The flesh only lusts, it can't do anything else. The flesh lusts. And it uses all of the same desires that the spirit who loves can use the same things. It's not a question of, well, I have this desire. The question is, what are we doing with it, and are we honoring God with it? It's not wrong to have a desire. God created us to have these things and to use it for a purpose. They're not wrong in and of themselves. God stays the same. So the people are about to go into the, the land, which is kind of where I'm at in my own personal reading. So I just got done well, with Deuteronomy. I'm just finishing up. Jesus quoted Deuteronomy, I think, more than any other book of the Bible. And it's what he gave them just before they were going to enter into the promised land. So the law is good. 
the people, most of them probably didn't even read back then, nor did they carry around the Bible, but they were to know it. And that was like the law that they needed to live by. You're about to go in. This is what I want you. This is the things I want to remind you of for the people, because that's reading to the people. Now, the people were read all of it. We know every seven years he was told Moses that to have them, the high priest, when they come in at this festival in Jerusalem, they'll have to come a couple of times a year. But every seventh year, they need to hear the whole thing. So everyone had to be familiar with it. But Deuteronomy was more like what I needed to know in my daily walk. The pre- I didn't need to know what the priest was doing in the temple every day. I'm not there if I'm not a priest. But I need to know that it was done, and I need to know what it represents, but I need to know how I'm supposed to live. So if you were an adulterer in the land, there was a way to do it, because they were representing God. And now all of a sudden people say, well, that was the Old Testament. Some people say, that was Jesus is dead. He was mean. Jesus is really nice. No, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We're exactly the same. So how do we reconcile that? Does that mean that we're supposed to stone people? Well, he didn't. That wasn't, he, he will. <laughs> They're going to stand, everyone's going to stand before God. The law is true. And if you are in your heart a sinner, and that's what you live by, then you're in trouble. He, the old, God of the Old Testament is still the God of the Old Testament. He's, he's also the God of the New Testament. We know grace changes everything. Grace fixed us. So now the question comes in, how do you reconcile all that? And again, if you've been familiar, I'm going fast, but hopefully this will all fill in and make sense. In First John, when it talks about if you say that, if you, if you sin, then you, don't know, then you don't know God. But then he said, if you say that you're without sin, then you're a liar. So how do you reconcile all of that? And the thing that makes sense, again, if it's true, it won't contradict itself. And as we read through First John, Second John, obviously it's sin and sins, plural. So everybody commits acts of sin. If you've been forgiven of them, then the sin nature that is guarding and drives your flesh, that's the thing that has to get covered in blood and repented of. If you say that you don't sin, you're a liar. But if you have the blood of Christ, as Rob even quoted this morning, 1 John 1, 9, he can cleanse you and forgive you, and now you can walk in newness of life. So now the question is, what is the governing thing of my life? And we should be thinking about that as a group of people. What is the thing that governs this body? What do people think about us, or do they know anything about us? Do they even know we're here? People drive by, they can read the sign on the front. What, What does it say on the outside of the window? You guys walk in under it every time. Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is Lord. Is he Lord? Somebody asked me if I was teaching tonight. I said, well, I'm only talking if you're not learning. <laughs> well, he's only Lord if I'm serving. Is he my master? First four chapters regarding division. What are things that divide churches? So just thinking on that, because we're going to get into it, and the first verse will be hard to get by because it permeates our society. There are people, when you, there's churches I can name right now when you drive by it, people that don't know God, they drive by and all of a sudden they're looking at a church. What should you think of when you look at a church? They have this big, huge rainbow flag that says, all are welcome. So if you don't believe that that's correct and you believe that marriage is for a man and a woman only, Why don't we have that out there? Well, the point is it's all about Jesus. Why are you even making your church 
about sex or about relationships with people? What, what, are they, what do you want people to think about when they drive by? That, that they're miss, it's not even that they're wrong. They're missing the whole point. What's a church for? It's about worshiping God and about what he says, and that's what people should be thinking about when they go by. 1 Corinthians 5, 1. It is actually reported. I can't believe people are saying that there is sexual immorality among you. And even such sexual immorality is, is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. It is actually reported. People are talking about, people are mentioning, oh yeah, the Corinthian church. You know what goes on there? That's the thing that they bring up when they talk about it. I don't know what my coworkers were saying when they talked about me. People thought all kinds of things, because if they don't like the message, they'll try to find something and we're all more than willing to give them bad things to mention because we're deviant sinners just like everyone else. But that shouldn't be the thing that people take note of. What did they say about the early church? That they had been with Jesus. Lord, that that would be true. That That's what people say when they see us. They're not that smart. They're not that educated. They think kind of weird stuff, but it's obvious that they've been with Jesus. That should be the goal. Not, well, they're so loving. They, they, they love people that even God doesn't love. God's not broke. We don't have to fix them. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. So it's among them. As is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. We're going to read in verse 9, which we'll get to eventually, but just right now. I wrote to you in my epistle, so as I've mentioned before, 1 Corinthians is actually at least the second Corinthians, because he wrote a letter before this. Paul had already told them before he wrote this letter, not to keep company with sexually immoral people. They obviously didn't heed his word, because he had already told them that, and now he is telling them, there's reports going out about the church at Corinth that there's a guy there that is sleeping with his father's wife, and it's open, and you're allowing it, and no one's saying anything. And that word, sexual immorality, is King James fornication. In Greek, it's pornea. It's where we get our word pornography from. And it means illicit sexual intercourse, so it's adultery, but more than that. Adultery is when you're married and you sleep with somebody other than your spouse. Fornication is anything, including adultery, that's sexually wrong. It's not wrong to have a sexual desire. God created us. He's the one, he, he's the one that came up with the idea. He's the one that decided when we have kids, it has to come through that way. He's the one that gave us all our nerve endings. He gave us all our organs. It's designed to draw you close together with your spouse. It's supposed to show a very intimate relationship as intimate as Jesus wants to be with his church, as intimate as God wants to be with you. It's supposed to be a natural, loving, close, enjoyable relationship with God. And he expresses that in a way where there's growth, things come forward. Sometimes we mess up. Sometimes it's things that we do that are wrong. Sometimes it's things we don't do that we're supposed to. I was talking to somebody that I know well that doesn't go here. So don't ask, I'm not going to tell you. But, but I was like, how are things going? He's like, life is great. Everything's great. 
My job's great. My family's great. I am loving life. I'm loving ministry. Everything's going well. He goes, I wouldn't tell this to most people, but just between you and me, the only thing that I would have anything possibly to complain about is my wife and I don't agree on this one thing, on intimacy. He goes, it's, that's the only thing that I can find. And unfortunately, I think that is not uncommon in the church. There's something there. So whatever this is, there's, this is misplaced. This is obviously they're doing something they're not supposed to do. And uh, this is in response to a doctrine. So now all of a sudden he went through t- people teaching. We're going to find out one of the things that they were teaching was on this, to- on this topic, and it caused a division. And now he is sitting here saying, you're doing something wrong. Um, Matthew 16, 12, not too long ago, Sunday morning, we went there. It says, then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Sometimes there's people that teach things wrong, and you need to be aware of it, right? So they were, the apostles were like, okay, we got to pay attention. What you're taught matters. And uh, Acts 2.42, right? Continue steadfastly. Four things, how you set up a church should be prevalent. If you don't see them in a church, then pray whether I'm supposed to be there. The apostles' doctrine, and again, it's the apostles' doctrine. The apostles didn't come up with things on their own. God didn't change. He's teaching them correctly on how to understand the Old Testament, what it means as in a body of believers, what it means in your own personal life. They obviously don't run a country anymore. Israel was a country designed that had their own legal system that was run by priests. So when you're reading through that, in fact, even the Sabbath, I was talking to a young man today who was having a conversation with some... uh, People that teach heresy, quite frankly, uh, all kinds of crazy stuff. And he spent a long time talking about um, just communion and about it's actually Passover. And now we're supposed to, well, even the, even the Sabbath and Passover was for the Jews. I remember Dave Hunt teaching, you know, it's for them only. They're the only ones that are supposed to do it. So now he didn't, he even said, do it as often as you will, Jesus, when he was talking to his apostles. So the misunderstanding something and getting it wrong matters. So they teach on the Old Testament correctly. So what is the correct Old Testament teaching on this? What did the Old Testament say about it? What were they interpreting? Sometimes we see what the interpretation was and we get way off base. So I think it's important to go back to look at what it said and what they were interpreting because that might help clear up what they were actually were supposed to be saying. And again, this, this word pornea... Um, According to the Strongs, it's adultery, fornication, homosexuality, lesbianism, intercourse with animals, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, lesbianism, intercourse. So I came up with my own little acronym, AFHLIA. And then you can continue that on LBGTQ+, whatever you want to go. These are all the things that they're not supposed to be doing. And that's the label that they put on themselves. Boasting against God. God says this is wrong. Well, we don't, and I've, I've mentioned it to many of you already, too. That's the thing that amazes me. Because they contradict each other. Oh, there are women that were born women that have an attraction to women. And they say, I was born that way, it's okay. And another woman is born, 
and says, well, I feel like a man. I'm attracted to a woman, and that's not normal, so therefore I must be a man. So they think that they're transgender, and I'm actually male inside, even though I have all female stuff. So one has a male tendency, and so does the other one. One says, this is wrong. I can't be that way. I must actually be a guy. The other one says, no, this is the way that we're supposed to be. So they should get into an argument if they were talking to each other. Well, I'm a woman, but I think I'm a man. Well, I'm a woman. I think it's okay to be like a man. They don't agree. Yet they're in the same slogan, and they're in the same marches, and they're in the same rallies. They have no problem fighting against God together. They have a common enemy. They just don't like being told what to do. We will not have this man rule over us. God gave us stuff. What are we supposed to do with it? It doesn't matter how I feel or what I'm going through. It was there for a reason. He did it, and he's not unintelligent. He doesn't change. He has an opinion, and all of those desires are supposed to be to glorify him. Everything that we have is supposed to be for him. Everything is about Jesus. And we make it about ourselves, and then it gets confusing. We make it about now instead of about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. I'm going to stand before him one day. Everything's going to get fixed. The question is, is how in line with that was I? And instead, I'm trying to either move the line or say there is no line. And if you're moving the line or say there is no line, then they're all in agreement, even though they're not in the same place. Because it's insanity, that's why. So what, what were they interpreting that they could come to this place? So... I know you know this, preaching to the choir. If you would turn to Leviticus, chapter 18. I don't know how relevant it is to the people that are here other than it's in your lives every day. Maybe not because of who you are, but because of who you live around. Fornication, I don't know, what do you think? You lived in the United States for a long time, and it was all about power. And then it was all about money and power. And it seems like now it's all about sex. Everything, which might be the same thing. Now, in a common enemy. So God spoke, had Moses write it down. The people in Canaan are living and doing things they're not supposed to. God waited patiently, and finally it came, and he says, okay, it's time. Their iniquity is full. I'm going to cast them out because of some of the things that they were doing, and you're not to do them. And we're going to read that. Leviticus 18. Then the, and again, this is where we're at in our society. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. That's always a good place to begin. According to the doings of the land of Egypt where you dwelt, you shall not do. And according to the doings of the land of Canaan where I am bringing you, you shall not do. Nor shall you walk in their ordinances. You shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk in them. I am the Lord your God. Just because it's common, it doesn't make it okay. Everyone that was in Canaan probably thought they were just like everybody else, or surely God won't judge me. And next thing you know, they're being removed. When God judges, he can go fast. Five, you shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. None of you shall approach anyone who is near of kin to him to uncover his nakedness. I am the Lord. 
The nakedness of your father or the nakedness of your mother you shall not uncover. She is your mother, you shall not uncover her nakedness. The nakedness of your father's wife you shall not uncover, it is your father's nakedness. The nakedness of your sister, the daughter of your father or the daughter of your mother, whether born at home or elsewhere, their nakedness you shall not uncover. The nakedness of your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter, their nakedness you shall not uncover. For theirs is yours own nakedness. 11. The nakedness of your father's wife's daughter, begotten by your father, she is your sister, you shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister, she is near of kin to you. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, for she is near of kin to your mother. 14. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother, you shall not approach his wife, she is your aunt. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law, she is your son's wife. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and her daughter, nor shall you take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. They are near of kin to her. It is wickedness. Nor shall you take a woman as a rival to her sister to uncover her nakedness while the other is alive. Also, you shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness as long as she is in her customary impurity. 20, moreover, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to defile yourself with her, and you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech, nor shall you profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. And again, these were things that were happening. You read, you read through this list and you're thinking, does God really have to tell us this? Don't sleep with your pet. Really, you had to tell us? He's like, well, it's happening. Yes, I do have to tell you. Wow, I thought, okay, I guess I shouldn't think. <laughs> Just say, yes, Lord. I am the Lord, your God. 22, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. 23, nor shall you mate with any animal to defile yourself with it. Nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is perversion. Do not defile yourself with any of these things, for by all these the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. For the land is defiled, therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. If that doesn't scare you living in this country right now, it defiles the land. I know Rob's taught many times, right, passing through the fire, Moloch. Right, they, and again, what's the consequence? What did they do? They, they worshipped sex. They, they had prostitutes. All the, the young girls would come in and they would go, and as an act of worship to the God of sex, they would have sex. They had prostitutes in the temple. And then inconveniently, they'd get pregnant. So what did they do? They offered it up to the God of sex. They would have this bronze statue, set a fire on it, get it really hot, and the inconvenient baby would be put on the arms and it would die. They were offering it to that God. But we are there, except we just don't have a statue because that's rude. Instead, we burn them with saline solution or pull them apart in the womb. But they're offering it to the God of sex. It's an inconvenient consequence for, for worshiping this God, so therefore, we'll just take care of it. It defiles the land. And he says the land will eventually vomit you out. 26. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not commit any of these abominations, 
either any of your own nation or any stranger who dwells among you. For all these abominations the men of the land have done who were before you, and thus the land is defiled, lest the land vomit you out also when you defile it, as it vomited out the nations that were before you. Just because you're Jews, just because I put you there, doesn't mean that you're above the law. I'm still going to hold you accountable. It also doesn't mean that they're saved or not saved because of it. All it means is God has, says there's consequences to how you live. 29. For whoever commits any of these abominations, the persons who commit them shall be cut off from among their people. And that's where I ended up going here because of Corinthians. We're going to find out this principle. What did they teach in Corinth? What were these people teaching? And what was God saying when it says to cut off? And literally here, that means to exterminate, to get rid of, like to remove a body part. Why would you remove a body part? Because I'm really not a man, so I need to remove it? No, you remove a body part if it's cancerous or it's causing problems to the rest of the body. It's not insanity, it's just wise. As a nation that was to represent God, God had a law, that law, the tabernacle, everything in it was a picture of what was in heaven. It was showing people who God is like. He's holy. But what does that mean for us as a church? How are we going to react? Paul tells them in Corinth, we're going to see the proper application. The people there that were being taught by the people that were causing division, they didn't do anything. Paul's rebuking them for that. There is a right and a wrong way to respond to this. 30, therefore you shall keep my ordinance so that you do not commit any of these abominable customs which were committed before you and that you do not defile yourselves by them. I am the Lord your God. So we just read a whole bunch of the nakedness of your son, the nakedness of your father, the nakedness, what does that mean? You can read all kinds of crazy commentaries. I think it's just as simple to turn the page to Leviticus 20. Those are telling them the things that they're not supposed to do. And this is how serious God takes it. Leviticus 20, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Again, you shall say to the children of Israel, Whoever of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell in Israel, who gives any of the, his descendants to Moloch, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I will set my face against that man and will cut him off from his people because he gave some of his descendants to Moloch to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. And if I am not like Moloch. For, and if any of the people of the land should in any way hide their eyes from the man who gives some of his descendants to Moloch, and they do not kill him, then I will set my face against that man and against his family, and I will cut him off from his people and all who prostitute themselves with him who commit harlotry with Moloch. And the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them. So here is prostitution. This is spiritual adultery. Cheating on God with another God. Six, and the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from his people because if he is staying in the land and living there, he's misrepresenting me. I don't want to be misrepresented. People need a savior. They need to know what it looks like. I, these people had, who, to whom much is given, much is required. I'm, requ- I'm, I'm giving them a lot, and I'm requiring a lot of them. I'm asking them to represent me, and I'm going to hold them to it. And if they don't do it right, then I'm going to not allow them for too long to misrepresent me. I will fix it. And part of that is by chastisement. 
7, consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I am the Lord your God and you shall keep my statutes and perform them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. There's the mouthful right there. 8, you shall keep my statutes and perform them. Do good. Is that what makes me right with God? No, I'm the Lord who sanctifies you. It's about me doing it. I just want you to represent me well. You're not able to do it. So when you come, I will sanctify you. I will set you apart. I will be the God who changes you. And as you mess up, the whole law is all about getting forgiven. There's a lot of sacrifices in the law. That means they messed up a lot. It's not about being perfect. It's not about being flawless. It's about knowing who to go to when you mess up. And in an attempt to worship him, sometimes messing up is the best thing that you can do around people because if you're humble and you're honest and you just ask for forgiveness, people are going to be like, oh, he's not all that. He's not like a lot of the Christians that I met that think that they know everything, although you can seem that way because you know a lot more than they do. You know the chicken came before the egg. It's in Genesis. <laughs> but... It shouldn't be about what we know. Jesus himself said, you know, why do you boast in something that was given to you? It wasn't yours. If you know something, it's because he told you. If you're right, it's him. You can't boast. So if you just humbly tell somebody something, messing up, being out witnessing to somebody, and they ask a question, sometimes we want to have the answers because we want people to get saved. And sometimes there's hard questions, and sometimes we don't know. And sometimes just looking at somebody saying, well, I don't know. I'll have to look that up. I'll get back to you. They're like, oh, I thought you thought you were the guy that knew everything. Sometimes not knowing something breaks down walls. We're not it. We just know who's it. <laughs> Verse 9, For everyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood shall be upon him. Just skip down to 11, which is where I was going. The man who lies with his father's wife. A man who lies with his father's wife has uncovered his father's nakedness. So there's your definition to uncovering nakedness. And it's in regards to a, father, a, a guy sleeping with his father's wife. That's the sin that happened in Corinth. That's the thing that he's addressing. They were supposed to know this. How do you interpret this? Well, that was in the Old Testament. We're under grace. The people at Corinth, like, you know, you, you're just so strict. You're just so judgmental. You, they allowed it, and they ignored it. And now that became the thing that people were talking about. Paul's like, it is commonly reported among you what's happening. He goes, what are you doing? Now he's going to give us the correct interpretation of this, the apostles' doctrine. So go back to Corinth. Very misunderstood in our culture because people want it that way not confusing. I know you guys know that. Maybe you don't know why, or I don't know if it makes sense to you, but people tend to think God changed his mind. He is unchanging. He's unchangeable. He's the faithful, and he stays the same. He hated it then. He hates it now. Why does he hate it? Does God not want me to be happy? This is how I feel. No, he wants you to have life. If you're misguided and misdirected, then you need to get redirected. You don't need to be told it's okay to go the wrong way. You need to get on the right path. It's not hateful to say it's sin. It's hateful to say, don't worry about it. God doesn't care. God says, yes, I do. <laughs> I do care. It matters. I want you to have abundant life. That's not life. That's death. Doctrinal problems 
always lead to moral problems. And probably it's the true, more true or as true the other way. Moral problems cause you to not want to understand doctrinal issues. You change your doctrine to fit your morals. We shouldn't be trying to fix God. God's not broke. We need to let him fix us. If my moral issues don't line up with his doctrinal issues, that's what it means to keep, keep the word. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. He is not saying be sinless and don't ever mess up if you love me. He's saying, if you have a desire to sleep with somebody that you're not supposed to, don't change his rule. Keep it. Guard it. Protect it. Agree with him. Confess it. Change me. I am not going to make what I want to do okay anymore just because it doesn't line up with what you're telling me is okay. I want to be the thing that gets changed. I'm not going to change what you say because we all have wrong desires. Your flesh, we all have the flesh. It's not wrong to be a sinner. He created us this way. It's not, it's not his fault. It's not my fault. The question is, what are we going to do about it? Or what are we going to let him do about it? Or am I going to try to push my hand to cause him to do something? It was very, so you probably have heard this. Again, Corinth is not a, it's probably a common, often taught book, but to live like a Corinthian, has anyone ever heard that explained before, has ever heard that saying before? In the, Old Test, in the New Testament, that was the saying, oh they, oh, they live like a Corinthian. Well, that meant that they were a drunken, sexual, immoral person. The people of Corinth were bad, just like every other people everywhere, but they were renowned for that. So just like driving by a church that has, I mean, you can drive by a building that has two, a big golden M, you know what's in there. It's what, it's what it stands for, right? I don't know what you like, french fries or milkshake or whatever your taste is for. When you drive by a church that has a multicolored flag on it, you know it's representing something. If people said I'm from Corinth, you immediately thought, oh, they're like everyone else there. So the church, you know, well, I want to be, you know, Paul said I want to, to become, I want to save many, so to become like, I'll become like them so that I can win them. Well, it doesn't mean you have to sin like they sin so that they'll let you to their party so that you can then talk to them about things. Common practice in Corinth, they would have a mistress for fun, a concubine for daily care, and a wife for legitimate children. I've actually heard people that I work with that were Italian say that's their lifestyle. That's from people from the old school. Everybody had a mistress for fun and a wife for the legitimate children, and that's how they acted. The gods are like, I'm not okay with that. That's what it meant to live like a Corinthian, to be drunk. So, Drinking's a whole other thing. So if this is what God has a standard, Corinthian has a standard, what I can't even imagine... What, what do Americans say is okay? Where are we at as a country? I mean, Daniel prayed for his country. We should be praying for our country. He said we involved in it. It happened. It happened on our watches. Have we been faithful, unfaithful? I don't know. This is from 2017, Answers in Genesis, a survey. They asked a question, and it's amazing how far we've gone, at least publicly, from 2017 to 2023, I'm in awe. <laughs> 2017 was way different. But 73% of the people called divorce acceptable. 69% of the people thought it was acceptable for sex between an unmarried man and a woman. 63% said gay or lesbian relationships are acceptable. 
62% said having a baby outside of marriage is acceptable. No, they don't see anything wrong with that. Sex between teenagers, 36% of the people thought that was okay. That was 2017. I don't know how many people would agree with it, but now you hear people saying that there's no such thing, there shouldn't be an age limit. In fact, I believe the, the international court took that away, that if it's a consenting minor, it's no longer considered a problem. Pornography, 36% thought it was okay. That doesn't mean that's how many people were on it. That's just, they openly admitted polygamy, 17%. Extramarital, extramarital affairs, 9%. 10% of the people thought it was okay to have sex while you're married. Yet still, 90% thought adultery was wrong. Because now all of a sudden it affects them. But where are we at today? I don't, I don't even want to go there. But you see the news. Misgender, mutilating kids. Where are we? Lord, help. 1 Corinthians 5. It is, actually, it is actually reported. To me, it's almost like Paul's aghast. That there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles. The people whose land that you're living in, they don't even do this. That a man has his father's wife, and you are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he has done that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have already judged as though I were present him who has so done this deed. I don't even have to be there to figure out what to do. How did you get here? How did you sit there and let this not only happen, but have people talk about it? It's one thing if people don't know and the guy's repenting and he's trying to fix it. It's, it's something that we're just saying, okay, and we're boasting in it. I don't know if they have a picture out in front of their church saying, we're the church that allows you to sleep with relatives. And that word puffed up, obviously, we're familiar with, right? Fizuo or fusio, it means to make natural, to cause a thing to pass into nature, to inflate, blow up, to cause to swell up, to puff up, to make proud. And it's used six times in the New Testament. Five of them are here in Corinth, and then once in Colossians. The first time it's used is in chapter 4, verse 6, speaking on divisions and false teachers. Now these, now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sake, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, don't go past the law, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against another. So they're getting prideful in their understanding of the Old Testament. They're, they're, they have doctrine and they differ. And they were proud of how neglectful they were to the Old Testament. It goes down in verse 18, just before this chapter. Now some of you are puffed up as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills. And I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power where are you at spiritually and what are you doing with it? You don't need to turn there. I'll just read it for time's sake. But chapter 8. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. You think because what you think that you know, your doctrine, I've figured this out, that we're better than everyone else. And it says in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, verse 4, love suffers long and is kind, the fruit of the Spirit, does not envy, love does not parade itself, 
it is not puffed up. It's not all about me. It's not all about, look what I know. They talk about this thing he's about to go on and say, talk about the leaven of the, of the feast. And, it's, and in the old days when they would have, going to make bread, they needed yeast. I don't think Fleischmann's was open yet, <laughs> nor was Wegmann's. So what they would do is they would get bread that had already raised, they would rip a piece off of the, of the, of the dough, they would make bread with that, and then they would add this to the other flour, and the yeast in that would spread. So that was how they passed it on. It's kind of like if you have a fire and you got to keep it going, and you take a coal out of it to start another fire. It's something they just kept going and going, and that's how it happened. And it's, if you put it in, and obviously in Colossians, the next spot where it talks about um, being puffed up, said, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility in worship of angels, introducing into those things which he has not seen, vaguely puffed up by his fleshly mind. So sometimes we get proud of something that we can figure out. They were boasting in the fact of how gracious and open they were, how um, acceptable they were. They thought acceptance was love. And I shared this more than once, but years ago, Park Ave Festival, a table, a church from East Avenue had a sign there and had a flag on it. It said, all welcome. And then it said, God is light. We love everybody. And I asked a question. I said, I see your sign. You're from a church? They're like, yeah. I said, I see you. It says there, God is light. And they're like, yeah. I said, you know what light is in the Bible? It goes like, yeah, it's love. And his light goes everywhere. We love everybody. And then I read John 3. And it said, light exposes darkness. Light, light is truth. I said, people wouldn't come to the light because they didn't want their deeds exposed. I said, God is love, and he does love everybody. But light is something that exposes darkness. And uh, they stopped talking to me. <laughs> they said, you'll have to come talk to my pastor. And anyway, okay, well, take your sign down, please. <laughs> They're sitting there misrepresenting God. You're out there trying to represent God. And that's, we know that's one of the things Satan does. Is right? He opposed the church. He killed people, and the church grew. So what did he do? He joined it. And now all of a sudden people get confused, and they don't know what God's like. You get doctrine coming into a church. It's important. Doctrine matters. His doctrine is teaching about who God is. Theology. That's why he said, let not many be teachers, because they will receive the greater condemnation. The New Testament wasn't written yet. They had Leviticus, though. They knew you weren't supposed to sleep with your father's wife. What do you do? Well, you put them out. What does that mean? My old Hebrew. You can get it out. We speak Greek. What's Hebrew put out mean? It means to kill them. Okay, well, we have a church here in Corinth, and now Paul's telling us to deal with it. What are we supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to put them out. They're not a nation. They're not governed by God. They're not doing that anymore. That nation was supposed to represent God. This church is supposed to represent God. If there's things in there that aren't representing him, one is that person needs to repent because they need to represent God. It's good for them. Two, it affects all the people around them. Three, it affects the people in the body. So you come to them, you plead with them, you beg with them, you, you minister to them, and if they're not willing to receive any instruction from the pastors or the elders or from the word of God itself, then they need to find a place where they can go until most people I read won't 
talk about, we, I'm jumping ahead of myself now, the destruction of the flesh. What, what does that mean? But it means that they need to come to an end of themselves where they realize God's not okay with this, so I shouldn't be okay with it. I don't want people to feel okay living in sin because it's not good for them. This is the only chance that we have to attain heavenly rewards. Once we're gone, it's over, it's done. What, what it is, it is. Why are we still here? Because there's work to be done. I want to represent God well. First of all, I don't want to represent him wrong. And second of all, it seems our ability to worship him forever in eternity with rewards and crowns is going to be depending upon what we do while we're here. God wants you to be fruitful. He loves you enough. He wants you to have a great eternity. I actually was doing something for a guy I work with that I didn't want to do, but I knew the scriptures and I'm loving him. And he's like, you know, you don't have to do that. I know you're supposed to be a Christian. You're trying to be loving. I'm like, well, God cares more about your eternal salvation than he does about my present comfort. He's not all that worried about me being comfortable right now. He doesn't care about asking me to, to, to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow him. He's okay if I have struggles here, if it means something else. We don't like these verses sometimes. We should. Persecution's coming. Well, blessed are you if they revile you and persecute you. Why are we afraid of it? That's a reward we're not going to get if we don't have it happen to us. The question is, is are we living in such a way that it'll happen if it's here? We shouldn't want it. I'm not looking forward to somebody else sinning and not liking me, but I shouldn't be afraid of it. Do we believe the Bible? We're not, if we don't get persecuted, there's things in heaven we're going to miss. We're not going to understand the specific thing about Jesus that he did. He says we're to enter into the suffering of him. Paul looked forward to it. He knew more than I did. I don't I don't, my flesh hates that. It's not unhealthy. I shouldn't be afraid of it. It is what it is. I'm not asking for it, but I'm, hopefully I won't run from it. And we grow through that. Cheap grace. Don't think tolerance is acceptance. It's, it's more comfortable. It's easier. I don't have to argue with people. <laughs> I can maybe think that they like me a little bit. It's not loving them, though. It's not representing God well. It's hard. Being a Christian is hard. It's not confusing. It's simple. It really comes down to just deny yourself and let the Holy Spirit lead you. It's that simple. But it's hard. But it's also worth it. There's great rewards. We can't be more loving than God. Don't think that just, well, they might feel bad. Well, you don't love them more than God. If God thinks they need to not feel good, then that's what's best for them. You can't fix them. God's not broke. Don't judge others. So here's a couple bullets that I had to remind myself of. We can't be more loving than God. Tolerance isn't acceptance. Don't judge others by a standard that I don't judge myself by. And that doesn't mean just stop judging them. That means judge myself by that standard too. <laughs> I'm not a hypocrite. I don't think people need to be as good as me. I think they need to be forgiven as I am forgiven because I need to be forgiven. I don't, I don't look down upon them when I see them doing anything. I know I'm capable of it. My flesh is as capable. I still remember Pastor Billy years ago when I first started coming and I was on this Tuesday night men's study and he said, I have the potential to commit the worst crime as any criminal here on the earth ever, except for grace and opportunity. Those are the only reasons I haven't done it. 
And that kind of hit me. Because grace and opportunity. If God's grace was gone and the opportunity was different, you could do anything as bad as anyone else. We're not better than anybody. When we correct people, it's not because we're saying, I can't believe you would do that because I wouldn't do that. You exhort people because you want them to have a better eternity. That's why we correct them, because you love people. If it's spiritual and it's godly, it'll be for their benefit, even though it might not be for their comfort, or my comfort for that matter. Don't judge others by a standard that I won't judge myself. Also, don't judge God's standard. Let it judge you. And that's, I think, where people go wrong, is that they look at what the Bible says, and they're like, well, I'll read it and figure it out what I like, or leave it out, or tweak it a little bit, or make it pertinent to the time that we live in, or, 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 no, let it judge you. What does it say? You can't fix God. He's not broke. And again, Israel was told to put out or destroy um, so what are we supposed to do? If you see somebody committing an act of sin, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 5. Paul says he's already judged them. It says in verse 4, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. They were glorying in this. They were boasting about sin, about how forgiving and about how accepting they were. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? That made sense to them. That's how they leavened bread. Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you, are tr since you truly are unleavened. That's good news. I don't know how deep we can get with that right now, but meditate on that. If you are saved, you're unleavened in God's eyes. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrifice for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, we're talking about immorality, but there is a whole other Apostles' Doctrine, Paul teaching on a feast and what it actually represented and to properly get it. Nine, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people, yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or with extortioners or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. So all of these things stand true. We're talking specifically about fornication because that's where we are in the scripture in this chapter. But anything of the flesh that can control you in an in abnormal way that's carnal, a lust, I desire that. The same holds true for this. It's not about taking away someone's salvation because we don't have that power. 11, but now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. So it doesn't tell them to stone them, like it said in the Old Testament. This is the church now representing God. This is what he's telling them that they're supposed to do. 
12, for what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. So there is a judgment coming. The law will be passed. He will mete out the Old Testament. He is holy, and his word doesn't change. But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. So now he's saying that's what put out means. And it's for their benefit. It's for the benefit of everyone else, and it's for the benefit of you. We're called to do the right thing. We want people to repent, and we know because we've read ahead. He eventually lets them back in. We don't know if somebody's saved. It's not our job to determine whether they're saved or not. All we do is say, this is how you act while you're here, because it's good for you, it's good for others, it's good for us. No man can take your salvation, yet we are called to judge fruit and to respond lovingly as God says. He's not broke, he doesn't need to be fixed. So there's no way I'm going to get through everything that I had here. So we are having communion today. So if you wanna come up, Rob. We could turn to Ephesians. Chapter 5. I'm getting there. Ephesians 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God, a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be even named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks for this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, like the Corinthians were. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the Spirit in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things are exposed. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. If you would, uh, as we sing one last song, if you want to come up and get the elements and then hold on to them, and we'll take them together. And as we, again, we're talking about the, we are a holy lump because of what this represents, and obviously 
It is all about Jesus. And again, in chapter 5, verse 2, walk in love as in Ephesians 5. As Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. He gave himself for us. He gave himself an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. God savored it. What this represents was the answer to all of our problems, the answer to how we get to where we're going, the thing that made the lump holy. And uh, we remember him through this, why we're here, the thing we have in common. Think on the Lord, remember the sacrifice, this partake of the bread. His body broken, willingly marred. And again, I don't find it a coincidence that not only does this represent the fact that he died, but as we take communion, it's him in us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. We're actually taking it in. We actually can take his word in. Christ is dwelling within your heart, the thing that makes decisions, that the voice, that quiet voice, if we listen to it, Christ in you, offering and a sacrifice that was acceptable to God, the blood of Christ, life is in the blood, his life now in you. Think on that and let's partake of the wine. Again, finishing up in uh, Ephesians 5, just to think on this as we are mindful of what he accomplished, how we then should react to the fact that he is in us. Verse 15, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. What is your mission? Why are you here? And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And Father, we just thank you that you made a way. And you didn't only make a way, you are the way. And you are here, you're with us, you're in us. You have a plan, your plan is coming together. It might be uncomfortable, it might be difficult, but it's good. Lord, we agree that your kingdom is best. We understand that we have issues. We understand our flesh needs to be put down. You made a way for that to happen. And we thank you and praise you. You've made a new place for us that you're inviting us to. Lord, many mansions. If it were not so, you wouldn't have told us. You can't lie. Lord, we rejoice looking forward to better. Not only better, but best. You have the best. We believe you. We struggle. But Lord, you see us, a holy lump. Thank you for brethren who can correct us, who can admonish us, who can be out of their comfort zone and tell us hard things. Even though I get upset with them, we get upset with them. As your spirit speaks, Lord, you're... You're causing us to walk better. You're causing us to have a better eternity. Help us to keep looking up. Lord, you're making that easier as the times are dark, Lord. But you just told us, even here, redeem the time, the days are evil. Show us what to do. Be glorified in us. 
Help us to represent you well. Fill us with your spirit. We pray for a revival. Personally, as a body here, thank you for the people that you've been bringing that are new. Mm -hmm. We just pray that it would continue and that mm -hmm. not only there'd be people here, but it would be you here. You would be seen when they show up and that would, we would represent you well. We don't want to stand before you ashamed, Lord, and we know that we're not going to because of the elements that we just took. So praise you. Hallelujah. Thank you for being a good dad. Yes. And get us home safely in Jesus' name. Amen.